Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 217, entitled Lockdown. This is the 41st overall episode, and there are 80 to go. Excluding the finale, we are now starting the second third of the series. First though, a bit of feedback. Uh, I received a lengthy and wonderful email from superfan Bonnie. And here are some of the comments that she had to say. She said, uh, So I thought I was the only Losty who recognized actors from Sons of Anarchy. She's, of course, referring back to the episode one of them, which uh, had uh, the actor Theo Rossi, uh, who uh, plays Juice on Sons of Anarchy. Anyhow, Bonnie goes on to say, Don't forget Katie Seagal, who plays Helen Norwood, please. Of course, I would not forget Bonnie, and you will... uh, Note that uh, today's episode, Lockdown, of course, features Katie Seagal playing Helen. Bonnie goes on to say, uh, I'm only halfway through the nice long podcast, but I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you how enjoyable it is so far. Pete is a hoot and brimming with the milk of human kindness. Smiley face. Uh, Listeners, of course, might recall that Pete uh, helped out with that episode, uh, leading to what ended up being about a 90-minute super episode. So... Uh, in, uh, in that episode, Bonnie goes on to say, uh, in reference to our discussion of how Saeed kind of looked so young and baby-faced, uh, Bonnie said, his baby-faced younger self was accomplished by poofing out his cheeks with theatrical gum, not donuts. So there you go. And uh, last but not least, Bonnie says, a final comment on the whole forgetting motif. Going back to season one. Uh, I noted a scene where Jack says he'll never forget what Charlie did, and Charlie responds, not for all our lives. Saeed stating that people are forgetting very, very significant facts was jarring to me, Bonnie says, but this is not foreign territory. There have been more than a few references suggesting the Losties are forgetting important things. Losing memories of a prior existence is implicit in reincarnation, a personally held belief that I think Lost might be exploring, says Bonnie. This certainly is something that Bonnie and I have uh, discussed back and forth. It's probably been mentioned on the podcast as well. I personally do not think that there's a reincarnation um, aspect to the show. Uh, However, I certainly respect her opinion um, where where her and I happen to to disagree here. I mean, obviously, there's the reincarnation in the the Flash Sideways. I don't think there's any any question with that. But... um, well, I, I suppose a, a big thank you, as always, to Bonnie, who uh, who uh, frequently will send in uh, bits of uh, bits of information and her thoughts about these episodes. I'd welcome anyone else to uh, to send in episodes as well. Uh, I did also receive um, an email from Kevin, who said uh, very nicely. He said, "Matt, you have the best lost podcast." And then he goes on to say, "Here's fodder for much later, after Locke and Ben visit Jacob." How does John end up with a revolver in the pit when he's about to commit suicide? 
Alex gave him a semi-automatic pistol before they set out. Uh, I must admit, Kevin, uh, you you certainly have a better memory than me. Uh, I, I find as I'm doing the podcast, there's almost this strange rewriting of my memories of Lost, uh, you know, as one might rewrite a computer file. Um, taking such a concerted focus to each episode, um, you know, here we are now in the middle of the second season, second half of the second season. Certainly, I mean, the big, the big touchstones, the big moments of the show uh, in seasons to come, they remain solid in my mind. But there, there definitely is kind of this, I don't know, it's funny, there, there's almost this muddiness. You know, if you said, you know, what are some of the episodes that happen after, after this one? You know, I I know Dave is next only because I looked that one up. I, I you know I certainly have a sense of um, of uh, you know Anna Lucia and Libby dying, but the, I don't know. There's just kind of this strange. Certainly, the farther away we get from where we're at, somehow the memories are 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 the weakest. Um, maybe until season six or so. Um, although even then, you know, I mean, season five, going back to Dharma in the seventies, it's a strange experience doing the podcast. Uh, just. Uh, at least for for the way my memory is working around it. So certainly, Kevin, I uh, I must admit I don't have an answer for you now. I'll have to file that one away. Um, but uh, perhaps it's just a a, a simple um, production error. Um, I suppose too, it's possible that there's a gun in in that pit. Uh, I don't know much about guns, uh, particularly living in the, the Northeast where we uh, we try not to worry about such things. But um, I mean, is it possible that the gun has been in there since since the the purge, and it still works? Certainly, it's a it's a you know not a good chance based on my scant knowledge of guns, but I suppose that's an option. Um, anyhow, let's now uh, start to look ahead to uh, to today's episode. And indeed, uh, uh, Sci-Fi Horror Femme on uh, Twitter says, looking ahead to this episode, Lockdown. She says, loved Lockdown just because it's lock-centric. I think that that's, that's a boat that most of us are in. Probably, I mean, off the top of my head, the lock flashbacks, you could make the argument that they're the most um, enjoyable overall in that lock in flashback is such a different, you know, he's before he's in the wheelchair, he's such a broken down, uh, guy, just somebody who's been beaten down by life. So those those episodes certainly contrast the the hunter and provider that we see on island, particularly in the first couple seasons. Um, and then kind of wheelchair lock. You know, you think back to him. You know, him and you know working for that box company, kind of getting uh, you know getting you know I, kind of verbally beaten up by the boss and underestimated and somebody who's just truly angry at the world that first time that we see him on the phone with you know phone sex helen um and the anger that 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 he has when she declines to uh to go away with him and indeed we would further learn you know here he is having this fake relationship with a fake helen um you know, I mean, it's kind of very like he's you know barely connected to the to the reality of the world. So, yeah, the lock episodes are good. And uh, with that, let's jump into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, Locke is preparing to propose to his girlfriend Helen at a picnic. But while he is preparing the lunch, she notices Locke's father's name in the obituaries. So they postpone the picnic to attend the funeral. 
No one else is there except two mysterious men standing in the distance. There's also a silver Mercedes with a driver who continuously glares at Locke throughout the funeral far away. At the conclusion of the service, Locke stands next to the coffin and says, I forgive you. Later, it is revealed that he had opened his own business inspecting homes. After checking the home of Nadia, Saeed's love, uh, he sees the same silver car near his house and finds that it is his father driving it, who had faked his own death to escape the two men who were trying to kill him because of a retirement con. He wants Locke to go to the bank to get the money for him from a safety deposit box and keep $200,000 as payment. When Helen asks Locke about the situation, he lies to her and says that he has not seen his father. When Locke meets up with his father at the motel, he tells his father he is planning on marrying Helen. But when he leaves, he sees Helen has followed him, and she is hurt by his lies. She breaks up with Locke, accusing him of choosing his father's love over hers. Locke gets down on one knee and proposes, but Helen shakes her head and drives away, leaving Locke to stare at his father, getting to a taxi cab to leave as well. On the island, Henry Gale tries to convince Locke and a suspicious Jack that he was making a bad joke about leading Saeed's group into a trap. After Jack and Locke argue about what to do next, Jack storms off, leaving Locke to put Henry back in the armory. When Jack reaches the beach, he sees Kate, Hurley, and Sawyer playing poker with some Dharma Initiative playing cards. After showing that he knows a lot about how to play, he challenges Sawyer to a game to win back the medicine that Sawyer had been hoarding. Jack wins the game and says he'll collect the medicine later. In the hatch, while Locke is pedaling on the stationary bike, he suddenly hears static noise coming from the speakers through the hatch, even though there are still 47 minutes left on the timer. A few seconds later, a female voice counts down from 10, and blast doors quickly begin to shut when she reaches zero, but Locke wedges one open with a crowbar. He then enlists Henry Gale's help to further open the doors, forcing one up a couple of feet, then sliding a toolbox underneath it to prop it open. Locke tries to slide through the gap, but the door crushes the toolbox and his legs. One of the metal poles on the underside of the door impales his leg, trapping him. Since the timer is still counting down, Locke tells Henry how to get into the computer room through the vents to input the numbers, and Henry agrees on the mission on the condition that Locke will protect him from the other survivors. While Gale is gone, the timer begins to beep rapidly, signaling the beginning of the one-minute countdown. Then the alarm stops, and there's a whirring noise, similar to the jet engine-like sound in one of them, and the lights go out. Seconds later, black lights come on, and for exactly 30 seconds, a diagram is revealed on the blast door that Locke is trapped under. It appears to be a multi-layered map of the island, but it is only shown briefly before the ordinary lights turn back on and the blast doors retract to their normal positions. Henry steps out of the computer room and tells Locke that he did what Locke asked him to do. On the beach, Kate sees a flashing light in the jungle, and when she and Jack investigate, they find an enormous package of food attached to a parachute. They're quickly joined by Saeed and Lucia and Charlie, who have returned from their expedition to the balloon. When Jack enters the hatch, he grabs Henry off of the injured Locke, though Locke tries to defend Henry, saying that he was helping him after the blast doors came down. Saeed confirms that they found the balloon and the grave, and they were exactly where Henry said they were. However, Saeed adds that he was still skeptical as to the validity of Henry's story, so he dug up the grave to verify that it was uh, Henry's wife, and found a man's body instead, 
which held the photo ID of a black man named Henry Gale. He reveals to the survivors that Henry is not who he says he is, and that he is, in fact, one of the others. So with that, let's now get to my thoughts about the episode. The uh, the previously unlost segment reminds us that it's going to be a, a big episode. We're seeing a lot of Locke's background. We're seeing a lot of uh, the business with Henry Gale. To be fair, I think that it is underselling the the bigness of this episode, the the size of this uh, important episode. The uh, the episode opens in flashback. Locke is half bald, preparing to propose to Helen. Uh, again, don't forget my rule that you can always tell uh, where we are in the chronology of flashbacks by uh, following Locke's hairline, as well as the size of Bopo, the uh, the dog that Jin gave to Sun. Um, Helen has this strange habit of reading obituaries. It's it's quirky. Um, I certainly don't know of anyone else who does that. Perhaps it's one of those oldie-time newspaper habits before you know newspapers were at risk of disappearing from the from the country but anyhow quirky as it is coincidentally it surely helps out the story since she sees that anthony cooper has <gasps> died uh there's a with that there's a brilliant cut uh we go from confused dead daddy lock in flashback to hatch lock having just heard henry end the last episode which of course was this kind of you know, implicit threat of, here, I sent these people out to the balloon. Wouldn't it be something if there's, you know, my people are out there to capture them? Uh, there's a bit of dialogue back and forth. Jack ends up, Jack ends up leaving in a pissy huff, um, ordering, by the way, ordering Locke to uh, to put uh, Henry Gale back in the armory. Uh, then Ben berates Locke for listening to Jack. Um, and that, of course, just gets Ben... You know, and his butt thrown into the armory, all kind of looking pathetic like the, the beaten dog. Uh, with that, we cut to Anna Lucia, Saeed, and Charlie, who are still looking for the balloon in what is now a three-hour search. Three hours have gone on. Uh, it's wonderful visuals in that scene, too. It's been raining. Uh, Charlie finds the presumed Mrs. Gale's grave. Um, and... As soon as Charlie says, hey, come over here, I found the grave, and they move towards it, eagle-eyed viewers will notice immediately what it takes Anna Lucia a few seconds to realize. Why isn't it raining? With that, of course, the camera starts to pan up. We see that smiley face balloon, which now we know why there's a smiley face, so we could identify it even quicker, and... Perhaps it was all true then. Uh, part of this wonderful interplay in the uh, the B plot on Island, where uh, you know is Henry Gale Henry Gale or 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 not? Um, uh, a nice touch indeed. Um, it's worth mentioning as well uh, on the gondola of the uh, of the balloon. I guess it's not the balloon proper, but on the balloon's gondola, which is upside down, there's a purple oval. What does it say on there? Widmore Labs, of course. Uh, this is yet another in a line of, uh, of uh, bits that uh, back when I was watching the show uh, in its initial run in 2006, here I was living this sad existence of no uh, widescreen HDTV. And uh, to, you know, to see those widescreen 
screen captures of uh, of the balloon and of Widmore Labs on there. It was this kind of tantalizing thing. Who is this Widmore? What will we, you know, what will we learn about him, etc. You know, in retrospect, it just adds to this wonderful, wonderful texture that uh, obviously the show has and the wonderful larger plan. Uh, this is now the the third time that we've had an instance of Widmore happening in the show, the first being that barely visible uh, uh, billboard at the Battersea power plant in the Charlie flashback. Uh, son's uh, um, pregnancy test was done by Widmore. And this, however, is the first time that we have Widmore people on the island. You know, the real Henry Gale was a Widmore guy. Um, so just a, you know, a really nice, nice touch to it all. And certainly, you know, I mean, Goodness, doesn't it make sense? Widmore expelled from the island, trying, you know, for all those years to make his way back. Um, sending, you know, here we have one expedition. We'll look ahead to uh, the freighter people, et cetera, et cetera. So good stuff indeed. Uh, with that, we go to the title card. And after it, Hurley, uh, pardon me, Jack asks Hurley where Anna Lucia went. And Hurley reminds him that life would be easier if he, Hurley, was in the loop. Jack, of course, denies that there is a loop. Oh, Jack, if you had let him in, what would that have done to the show? You know, assuming the best in people, assuming the best in Hurley, who would, uh, you know, do for the island, you know, this this wonderful job of protection for, you know, what, what I like to think are, you know, the next two millennia. You know, Jacob was there 2,000 years. I like to think the Hurley was there for 2,000 years as well. And, you know, balloons and planes uh, landing on the island slowly turned to, you know, you know, nuclear-powered uh, underwater cars and, you know, personal uh, rocket packs and this sort of thing that, you know, the, the, you know, the world changed around Hurley and whatnot. But anyhow, um, with that, we move to just a wonderful scene with Locke exercising. He hears something. There's great pacing. He checks the stereo, the computer, the timer. He fiddles with the hissing speaker. Uh... Just as we're about to learn more, we cut to flashback. Arg! Uh, it's half-haired Locke and honey-brown-headed Helen. Uh, I just mentioned that because she looks so different from uh, what she does playing kind of the uh, the biker mom uh, on Sons of Anarchy. I know that's not literally true, but that's probably the best way to describe her for those who haven't seen uh, this wonderful show that she's in. Um I'm pretty sure, too, and I'd, I'd have to go back and double-check, but I'm pretty sure that uh, when Helen returns in Flash Sideways, uh, I know for a fact that was during, you know, that was after Sons of Anarchy had started to air, and uh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, that Helen, uh, you know, has the same die job as uh, as uh, her character on Sons of Anarchy. So certainly the the black nail polish uh, that Helen has in the Flash Sideways, that is straight out of Sons of Anarchy. So anyhow, it's a fairly boilerplate scene of uh, Locke at the funeral, forgiving dead dad. Uh, of course, we do see the ruffians watching him and the mysterious car watching from afar. Uh, so there's a bit of, you know, uh, foreshadowing of things to come in what is a, you know, a, a fairly compact and neat and compelling flashback story. Um, just, you know, that particular scene isn't that interesting. Uh, but then we start to uh, move back to uh, the island, back to the hatch, and to the real meat and potatoes of, of this uh, episode. Maybe you should get Jack. Three. 
I love the pacing of that too, where it's, you know, he yells, shut up. And with that, you know, the, the sky opens or at least the, you know, the, the, the sky of the hatch and that, you know, now the blast doors are coming down from the ceiling and, um, you know, you also see Henry Gale at work there. You see Ben doing his thing of, of trying to destabilize Locke. You know, maybe you should get Jack. What he's actually saying is, let me be the one to point out to you that you don't need Jack, that you're better than this. And, you know, P.S., while you're, uh, you know, throwing off the yoke of Jack, why don't you try this yoke on for size? It's called the Benjamin Linus yoke. And, you know, follow me, my son, kind of thing. Um but it's just that duplicitous, snake-like way where Ben can kind of slowly slither up there and uh, and, and work his magic, his considerable magic. Um, we go to uh, we go to commercial, and after the act break, Jack Hurley Sawyer and uh, Kate are playing poker, uh, complete of course with those Dharma cards. Uh, it's like Dharma the card. Act now, run out and buy them. Um, it's, it's a wonderful scene. It's fun. There's casual dialogue about how Jack can read people's card games, but can't play because he has to get back to the hatch. Um, there's of course some metaphors. Sawyer says, let's put uh, your mangoes where your mouth are, where your mouth is, I suppose would be the proper grammar. Um, and coincidentally, Jack decides to skip the return trip to the hatch. It's all while the lockdown is happening. It's a bit hand of the writer. Um, you know, it is what it is. I think nobody at home, you know, there's, nobody at home is fooled. There's that scene where Jack literally has his back to the group, and that's where Sawyer says, why don't you put your mangoes where your mouth is? And, you know, Jack kind of stops, and, you know, that's when he says, you know, you know, sir, challenge accepted. Perhaps I will stay here for, I don't know, the next half hour of the show, 20 minutes of the show. You know, it is what it is. Um... If you do that sort of thing too often, it annoys the audience. If you do it every so often, you know, and we're not dummies. What are you going to do? Have incredibly, you know, what are you going to do? Like, you know, someone breaks their leg, you know. Kate's broken leg. Jack must, you know, stick around. That's just, then that feels forced. Then that feels silly that there's, you know, we're saying there is no drama in her having a broken leg or with the baby being sick again, or this or that, the other, if there's some sort of medical emergency there, or if it was, you know, Sawyer uh, challenging him to, to you know, a fist fight, it, then it really feels constructed. With this, this is one of the, you know, we can kind of appreciate, A, that the writers are doing this to keep him at, you know, out of the hatch. But, you know, it, it's just a wonderful scene. All, this whole poker playing thing is wonderful. It's wonderful character development in what is otherwise the, the action-y aspect of the lockdown the lockdown is you know kind of conspiracy filled you know as we're going to talk about the blast door map in a, in a bit uh, there's all of that going on so let's just have four people playing poker their personalities coming out um them being themselves kind of just just chit-chatting um yes there's the larger scope of you know jack essentially is conning sawyer to get all the medicine back uh but it's it's a little kind of you know respite from what otherwise is a is a rocky episode. Um, we stop back quickly in the hatch, uh, Locke trying to open the blast door. Then we head uh, back properly to the flashback Locke, who now is a home inspector, including that of Nadia, Saeed's love. 
Um, there's no real reason that she's there other than just to have a nice crisscross moment to the show. Just a little extra bit of shading. Um, I'd say, too, you know, uh, I mean, it, it does answer uh, the smallest of mysteries, what happened to Nadia. Uh, I mean, certainly we know more about her later in the show. But upon first viewing, you say, okay, Nadia did make it there. Then actually, as you think things through further, you say, oh, if only that plane had landed, Saeed would have reconnected with her, um, et cetera, et cetera. You, kind of, you start to imagine this, this better life. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice. Her presence certainly is worth it, not only for the cuteness of it, but the, um, you know, the implications of if there wasn't a crash. Um, after the home inspection, the car, the car from the graveyard returns, and who's in it? Why, it's the silver-throated wonder. Look, John, I know what I did to you was wrong. You stole my kidney. I was dying. You could have asked me. You could have just asked me. As I said before, I love Kevin Ty, who plays uh, Anthony Cooper. Just what gravitas to his performance he, you know, in a show that is constantly populated by good actors, whether they are the regulars or the recurring actors or guest actors, he is just so intense. I really feel like he believes he's a con man. He has a gaze, you know, when he's looking at, at Locke, the gaze that he that he has is so powerful that I, I just really feel like, you know, is this guy a method actor? Do they yell cut and he, you know, goes over to... Uh, you know, the boom mic operator and tries to figure out how to get $50 out of him. You know, he's just, he has such a presence, such a presence. Um, at this point, we're 17 minutes into the episode and uh, Locke wants Ben to help him deal with the situation. It really, this really is a case of the episode flying along. Um, it's, you know, it's this episode just, just zips along. What else is there to say? Uh, ben also decides to take those lemons and to make some lemonade out of it. just like you. I love how the Giacchino music there kind of keeps the uh, keeps the pace zipping along. And uh, also, it's just great Ben performance. Uh, you know, as I said, that, that music, the low strings keeping the tension. Uh, and of course, we have Locke horribly, horribly misjudging uh, ben here, although I, I suppose to be fair, in the interim, uh, you know Ben does push the button dutifully. Um, so <laughs> there is that, you know, preventing the you know catastrophic disaster inside the hatch uh, at least for at least for a little while. Uh, we go to commercial, and after that, we're back uh, on the beach at the poker game, and there are metaphors aplenty. Bye, Ellie. 
least I'm not in your head. Well, I guess that's it. What do you mean, it? Sawyer, you're busted. I, I got it all. Wouldn't really be fair for you to go out and pick more mangoes. Well, I got a hell of a lot more mangoes. Want to play real steaks? Name them. <laughs> it's a pile of fruit, man. And I want it back. Should I go and get a ruler? I mean, there's there's the charm of the poker game right there, that it's, you know, about some of these larger tensions between the characters, uh, certainly Jack and uh, Jack and Sawyer. Uh, but it's also just a poker game. Um, and also, too, you know, there's there's the implicit desire of Jack's to to con Sawyer, to screw Sawyer over, uh, to do to Sawyer what Sawyer did to him. Um, it's, you know, just a nice scene. It's fun, zippy writing. It's true to the characters, um, and of course, some of the metaphors that they are using are communicating different concepts to an older audience. Uh, with that, we go back to the hatch, and the door is forced open by Locke and Bend, and closes on Locke's leg. This poor guy can't walk for too long. You know, if it's not the wheelchair, it's his legs giving out by the uh, by the uh, Nigerian plane that, of course, led to Boone's death. Now he hurts his leg again. You know, poor guy. Uh, with that, we cut uh, to flashback. Locke is opening his father's safe deposit box, number 1516. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. He gets the $70,000 and runs home all happy, only to meet those two thugs from the graveyard. It's an interesting bit of casting, too, for the two thugs. Um, you know, there's kind of the shorter, uh, older, uh, at least older compared to his partner, uh Hispanic guy with the ponytail who's kind of a little bit more slick, uh, somebody who's able to to be polite and also be menacing at the same time. Then there's kind of the taller white guy with kind of curly hair that's perhaps in need of a cut. It's not quite shaggy or Afro-esque, but it's certainly, it's just a bit too long to be kind of, you know, mainstream, mainstream acceptable to go work at your job in an office. You know, it's somebody who imagine he's kind of poofing it up the tiniest little bit and he has kind of this i don't know this rather omnipresent uh necklace on uh anyhow it's just it's the two of them look like thugs especially together um there's some artificial tension uh Locke's bag had the money in it at the bank but the goons opened it up to find Locke's home inspector stuff not quite sure how i feel about that i mean it's Artificial tension. It's totally created for the sake of the audience. Yes, uh, the goons think the money might be in there. Uh, yes, it makes Helen suspicious, but it's mostly there for us to go, oh, no, there was just money in there. You know, it's it's by virtue of the show not having shown us him getting rid of the money that we feel tense, not through other, other means in the episode. Uh I suppose if nothing else, it shows the seriousness of the of the bad guys. Uh, with that, Locke lies to Helen about being involved with his father again. And at this point, the flashback story really is starting to feel more and more compelling. Uh, so, of course, we cut to the you know biggest banana poker game between Jack and Sawyer. Um, and unfortunately, that particular storyline really is starting to feel like it's third banana it's just a little less compelling than the other two stories uh the conversation also lets jack reveal that he learned poker in thailand but won't say more because 
It's a story for another time. Ugh. It's going to be the worst story on Lost. The story of Jack's stupid tattoo and Biling. And it's... Ugh. That's going to be a low point for this podcast. I'll tell you that. I don't know how I'm going to slug through that. I know... I've had, you know, there are a couple of episodes that are in the, the in the 20 minute range, you know, between 20 and 30 minutes. I think the shortest episode, podcast episode I've done is 25 minutes. That's going to be a tough episode to get through because I'm not here to bash on the show. There, there's not a lot of fun in that. If there's poorly con- constructed drama in an episode, I'll call it on that. Uh, man, that's going to be tough. But anyhow, back to this story. Back to the most interesting part. Of this story. What does it do? We're not exactly sure. And you push it every 108 minutes, yeah. How soon does this alarm go off? Very, which is why I need you to go up through the grate and into the fence. Grate's bolted shut. I try. Yeah. There's another grate in the pantry. You can get up through there. Take the vent into the dome. Maybe we should wait. Oh, we can't wait. It's going to go off any minute. I trusted you, Henry. Now you got to trust me. That button has to be pushed. Okay. What do I do? Once you're inside, you'll hear the alarm beeping. And you just have to enter the numbers. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. And then you press execute. It has to be exactly those numbers in exactly that order. Do you... 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Do you notice how quickly Ben memorizes those numbers? Um, and the music even there, we kind of have have the horns kind of, you know, bump, kind of punctuating. We're revealing the numbers. Bunk. Ben is mem- has memorized them quickly. Bunk. We're, the music is telling us to start to feel a little uneasy about the trust that Locke has given over to Ben. Um, regardless of what Ben may or may not know previous to to this episode and certainly you know his understanding of the island and dharma and whatnot far exceeds any of the the other characters to this point but we're just you know we're we're, we're getting some some bad vibes here uh i know that it's been said that your last chance to communicate you know in, in terms of the process of putting together uh, an episode of TV or a movie, your your last chance in the construction of an episode to communicate emotion is with the music. You know, because of course you start with the writing, and then casting, and then the acting, and then the editing, then you do music when you have a final edit. So, in the construction, as I say, in the construction, music is the last chance to to share emotion. Conversely, music is sometimes. As a viewer, it is sometimes the best chance to get a sense of where you should be emotionally because it's going to be slightly leading the pack. It's going to be slightly telling you things to kind of prepare you for uh, the moment. Here, I would argue, uh, Mr. Giacchino is showing off, and I mean that in a a respectful kind of literary foreshadowing kind of way. He's showing off the end of the episode by saying, let's start to feel a little uncertain here. So that, yes, when you get punched in the gut at the end of the episode, it's going to be a zinger. But let's start to leave a little breadcrumb trail here, a little hint there in order to, to you know, show you that, that you know, this has been slowly building. Anyhow, Ben goes off to climb up the uh, pantry vent. He falls, he hits his head just as the counter starts to beep. And we go to commercial. 
constructed uh, tension right here. I'm not necessarily being critical of it, but constructed tension nonetheless. Uh, We return from the act break to the poker game. Jack wins uh, with a rather ominous suggestion that he wanted the medicine and now he has it. And thus, when he wants the guns, he'll get those too. Uh, With that, we cut back to the hatch. Henry gets moving uh, into the vents to hit the button. Just in time for another flashback. There's a great shot of the motel parking lot uh, by an airport. Um, I guess it would be by LAX, right? That's Locke is uh, Los Angeles-based. Locke walks across the screen just in time for an entire oceanic plane to fly overhead, computer-generated, logo perfectly on the screen. Uh, Just a nice touch. Uh, Something that would have cost money, something that would have, uh, I'm just going to say, you know, planning you know it's not that much planning to say you know okay you know actors walk here walk there we imagine a certain thing but you know the time it takes to then plunk in um uh, you know computer generated plane is uh you know certainly some might have argued you know let's cut it save save tens of thousands of dollars or whatever the number might be but boy it works it works nicely uh Locke tells his father that he's going to propose to helen it's a call back to the engagement ring that we saw at the start of the flashbacks. Um, and it's it's a nice reveal, too, that Locke, you know, helped Dad to get Dad's love. And here he is, you know, kind of trying to get uh, Dad's approval ahead of the proposal. Uh, Helen arrives at the motel. She's crushed, uh, upset, you know, having been lied to, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, Locke decides that that's the perfect time to, to propose. Right, ladies? That's the best time to propose when uh, you've been crushed and monumentally disappointed by all the secrets that your boyfriend has has kept from you. Clearly not the best timing. Um, Helen then kind of, you know, judges him to be a perpetually lost person uh, with uh, somebody who's broken with no hopes of being fixed. Um, she drives off, and it's the last time that we will see her, in this life anyway. I love the blocking of that scene as well, particularly as Helen drives off in the foreground. You know, she gets in the car, the car pulls away, revealing behind the car, 20 feet or so, revealing Anthony Cooper watching in the background. Um, There's kind of this mixed look in his face. I think that he's vaguely sympathetic to the trouble that he has caused. But isn't that what he does? doesn't Doesn't he cause trouble in people's lives in order to you know, benefit himself. So anyhow, just to get back in the proper flow of the the scene here, Helen gets in the car, the car pulls away, revealing the background, Anthony Cooper standing at his cab. He gets in the cab and leaves too. It's, you know, the one, two punch of Locke being, uh, being left alone here. Uh, And then with that, we go back to the hatch uh, resulting in the greatest, Fan interaction moment of the show. Will you say something? The blast door map. I mean, it's just this wondrous mystery that sent us to our computers discussing and uh, talking. We're referring a bit here to, uh, to Lostpedia. The map, of course, has uh, the location of six stations with a seventh crossed out. Uh, they all appear to be pointing towards the center of the island, which is represented by a large question mark. 
Uh, four of the stations have names. The arrow, the staff, the flame, and the swan. Um, it's... There's the, the various uh, cerebrus vents, the CVs, uh, that are mentioned there as well. You know, at the time, there was just so much discussion about the map. It is not shown terribly well in the uh, in the episode proper, but I, I believe what was an intentional tie-in is that uh, the next day, or uh, I think the next day... Um, Yes, here it is. Uh, a a high-resolution image uh, in Entertainment Weekly uh, was uh, revealed the next day uh, after the original airing of Lockdown. And, uh, I mean, my goodness, the time that so many of us spent pouring over it. Uh, I know that there were some pretty uh, reliable, uh, let's, I guess the best word would be annotated versions of the map uh, where... Uh, the various writing had been cleaned up. Some of the Latin had been uh, translated. Uh, I mean, my goodness, just the time, you know, the time spent, the time spent pouring over it. And to a certain degree, some of it is, you know, it's kind of, you know, the show having us, you know, chase our, you know, being the dog that chase our, chases our tails kind of thing. Um, you know, wording, well, let's back up and say, fine, to reveal that there's a staff hatch, well, guess what? We've been there. An arrow hatch, we've been there. Swan hatch, we've been there. Flame, okay, we haven't been there, but now they've just merely named, uh, you know, a place that we haven't uh, that we haven't been to, but it's easy enough to say, well, that'll be the name of a hatch that we'll go to at some point. Uh, wording on there such as, um, oh, confirmed site of Caduceus Medical Station, the hatch, Okay, simple enough. Um, the disease worsens with the treatment. The remedy is worse than the disease. That's you know vague enough to have us speculating. Um, suspected shutdown date, 10-24. Is that 84? Uh, then some va- more vague things. There, uh, there are dragons here. Um, the wrath of the gods may be great, but certainly it is slow. I mean, it's... There's enough of a uh, mishmash of questionable bits here so that, um, you know, I mean, there be dragons here. What does that mean? I, I don't know. It You can hide that away as, you know, it's the writing of a crazy man. Um, certainly, I, I think perhaps the most interesting thing on the map, maybe aside from the the name of some of these, uh, these uh, stations, or these references to, well, let's see, unlikely due to Cerberus activity that, of course, sends us, uh, you know, to our computers. We're reminded that uh, Cerberus was the three-headed dog that uh, guarded the underworld. Uh, I think many people rightly made a connection from that to the smoke monster. Uh, all these CVs being Cerber- uh, Cerberus vents, um, you know, I think can only be interpreted as... Uh, you know the the underground uh, events, for lack of a better word, uh, that uh, that the smoke monster used to get around. Um, it's just good stuff. I mean, you, you look at the map now at the end of the show. Um, you know, stuff. So a lot of it felt more profound back when we were having these discussions originally. You know, why so many Darmatel relays in such untenable locations? I don't know. I mean, we could break that apart. You know. You know, Dharma, Tell, kind of, you know, 
telecommunication relays in untenable locations, you know, where there's poor, uh, poor reception. I mean, perhaps that has to do with uh, the various experiments. Perhaps it has to do with uh, the, you know, that the location of the island can change. But, um, you know, that blast door map was a lot of good fun that like, you know, like a lot of, uh, the stuff in the second season is just a bit of a diversion. You know, you, you could directly have Ben show up and say, hey, I'm the leader of the others, but you take the longer route for the sake of tension. Um, I think, too, you know, season two is this, season two kind of is this honeymoon period in between the show actually being successful, kind of to the, to the surprise of uh, Lindelof and J.J. Uh, Abrams. Um, and the need for there to be an end date, which gets established, uh, I believe, towards the end of the third season is when it, when ABC commits to it. Now, whether to, to whatever degree that impacted uh, the scripting process in season three, I don't know. Certainly, in my mind, season three, much of season three kind of is a, is a low point to the series. Um, but, uh, and as a side note, I'm interested to see if that perspective changes because I remember being very frustrated. You know, why are we spending all these times with these others that I don't care about? Now that we do care about them, how's that gonna how's that gonna feel? We uh, we shall see. But um, there you go for the blast door map. I'm certainly uh, you know such such fond memories. Um, I, mean, I don't know if it's you know is it useful for me to get into the background of the blast door map? I suppose just a quick reminder from Lostpedia. Uh, that the original creator was, of course, Rosinski. Uh, he and his partner, Kelvin Inman, uh, regularly forced a lockdown to engage the blast doors in order to continue to work on the map. Um, they were forced to work blindly, as the map can only be seen under conditions when the swan was illuminated by blacklight. Um, so, you know, I painted with, uh, with uh, laundry detergent and other mixtures. It's just, you know, it's a great, great bit of fun. Uh, it's, it's you know, just a giant Easter egg that the show kind of threw at us uh, for us to uh, for us to play with. And not a whole lot comes of it, but certainly it's some of that extra shadowing and shading that the show, uh, the show does so well. Back to this episode. Uh, Locke looks for Henry. Uh, Locke finds him and says, you came back. Ta-da, it's the new daddy figure. Someone reliable and caring and misunderstood, just like Locke. Jaquino's soft strings tell us that, you know, it's everything is sweet and wonderful and loving, and that we're going to have a happy ending, right? Uh, the act ends, and we return to Jack blowing off Kate, preventing her from uh, coming back to the hatch. Uh, and indeed, he then says, you know, not only should you not come back to the hatch, but I'll walk you back to the beach. So it's this further Jack not heading to the hatch. Uh, there's a little, little bit of love triangle dialogue. Kate is happy that Jack beats Sawyer. So now Jack likes Kate more. Uh, then they find the Dharma drop filled with food. I think it's worth mentioning too. This being the first time that we uh, saw a Dharma drop uh, of food. Uh, but certainly not the last time. You know, there was such question of how in the world could could this be still happening? Isn't it just the writers being cute as a way to introduce more food into the into the show, so that way you don't need to worry about food? Uh, 
they're kind of going back on the rule that they had, you know, where Hurley distributed all the food. Um, particularly once we learn of the purge, you say, oh, you know, foul. This is how the show doesn't plan for anything and, and whatnot. For those of you who have seen uh, The New Man in Charge, that DVD-only epilogue, uh, you will see that there was, you know, the the last bit of the uh, Dharma Initiative was two guys in a warehouse uh, preparing pallets for drops. Uh, they kept getting paid from those, I suppose, considerable Dharma resources, um, or at least, you know, well, certainly they're getting they're getting paid in money from somewhere, but that it was just two guys who didn't know to stop, so they kept doing it, and um, you know, it gets gets explained away. Uh, to to whatever degree of satisfaction. To me, it's, you know, as I've said before, that epilogue was not great, but it hit enough stuff, you know. Um, If the biggest complaint of people was that, you know, they never explained where the food pallets come from, fine, then this explains it, you know. Uh, Anyhow, so this Dharma drop is found, it's filled with food, and just in time, Charlie and Lucia and Saeed arrive, uh, Jack, of course, does not dare question manna from heaven, so he goes straight to asking Saeed what was found at the balloon. Uh, the shot is lit by a torch, and of course they kind of pause because it's this, you know, you know, we're heading towards the, the climax of the episode. Um, and Saeed, lit by torchlight, by the way, does look a bit like Lucifer. Back to the hatch, Ben is lovingly caring for his new, you know, big brother slash little brother slash son, uh, Locke propping his leg up, getting him some water, reminding him that it's Locke's hatch. You think it was all just random? Don't look at me. It's your hatch. Get away from him. Wait, you don't. Step back right now. Said it's okay. I, I said it's okay. Hey, all right. I let him out. It was some kind of lockdown or something. He, he was helping me. Couldn't you find my balloon? Yeah, we found it. We did find your balloon, Henry Gale. Exactly how you described it. We also found the grave you described. Your wife's grave. The grave you said you dug with your own bare hands. It was all there. Your whole story, your alibi. It was true. Still, I did not believe it to be true. So I dug up that grave. I found that there was not a woman inside, there was a man. A man named Henry Gale. What a fantastic ending. Uh, you know, Naveen Andrews giving just that perfect delivery, that excellent monologue. Um, just just so wonderful the way the camera work is, uh, where you kind of, you know, Ben now revealed as Ben, perhaps not by name, but Ben now kind of initially wants to cower, but then is now prepared to stand up straight because he knows, you know, you thought things were bad when they only thought you were an other. Now you've completely lied to them. Um, the way it's kind of blocked, there's Saeed on the one side and Jack on the other, and Ben's kind of almost 
peering up between them. Uh, of course, the, just the Giacchino music. I mean, you know, uh, me rewatching this episode for the podcast, obviously it wasn't the first time I had saw the episode. Uh, recorded, you know, saw that scene again for clips, listened to it again just now, and it's just, you know, there, there's still his hair standing up in my arm. It's just, what a payoff. Um, this is truly the kind of episode that just sends you racing to, to, to watch the next episode to find out more because, you know, uh, this conversation that's been going on for a month, you know, upon first viewing of is he or isn't he an other, now you know for sure. And it's just this you know, astonishing thing which will propel us to uh, future episodes, to the end of the season, uh, and beyond, certainly and beyond. Uh, though the episode is over, the podcast, of course, is not. Let's take a look at Lostpedia. The episode's title references both the main event that takes place, the actual lockdown, and Locke, who has the flashbacks in this episode. Lockdown could mean how Locke was literally down on the floor after he was injured, or symbolically, because after Helen left him, he became depressed or down. So, perhaps a bit obvious, but thank you anyway, Lostpedia. Uh, Lostpedia also says this is one of two episode titles that is a pun on the centric character's name, the other being House of the Rising Sun. There you go. Uh, Lostpedia also mentions that Katie Seagal, Helen Norwood, appears for the last time until the season six episode, The Substitute. Uh, also, uh, Lostpedia says that there was a deleted scene from this episode showing Locke and Helen planning Anthony's funeral. When asked what Anthony's life was like by the priest, Locke admits to not knowing anything about his father. Uh, frankly, I'm glad that they cut that. I really don't see the need, um, particularly since um, the function of the funeral scene is for us to see the two goons and to see the silver Mercedes, uh, and for Locke to say, I forgive you, which just shows, you know, here here he is ready to be another, uh, you know, uh, another mark to be uh you know used by by the con man father so uh last bit uh that uh from lostpedia sawyer convinces jack to play poker rather than going to the hatch by saying hatch ain't going nowhere doc when actually the hatch will be gone after live together die alone part two it's a nice bit of uh foreshadowing and irony so with that let's now look ahead till next week next week will be episode 218 dave the super fun Hurley episode. A reminder, too, that new episodes of this podcast launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. You may also be interested to hear uh, the other podcast, of which I'm part, the PH Geek podcast uh, on iTunes and phgeek.podbean.com. Uh, those episodes launch on Wednesdays. Uh, if you'd like to share feedback for this podcast, please do. Many of you listen. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to me at lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very much for listening yet again. It's nice that we've had a, a longer episode, courtesy of the, uh, the Blastdoor map and uh, i will speak to you all again next week for episode 218 entitled dave take care and bye bye